In a tale made of nightmare fuel, a few very unlucky Cape Elizabeth, Maine residents experienced a horrific night. After a lovely evening at home, or maybe just a regular evening at home, I actually have no idea, these unsuspecting folks went to bed. Then, at some point in the middle of the night, their spidey senses began to tingle. Has this ever happened to you? When you're in a dead sleep and you wake up because you feel like someone is watching? Well, welcome to Capers and Cocktails, folks. Welcome to Capers and Cocktails, a true crime podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously and gives you something to enjoy while you listen. The following content may be disturbing to some. Discretion is advised. If you're enjoying one of our themed cocktails, ensure you're of legal drinking age and have fun, but drink responsibly. Somewhere around 1876, in Lowell, Massachusetts, Dr. Augustine Thompson developed a patent for a medication called Moxie Nerve Food. The good doctor claimed that Moxie could cure paralysis, softening of the brain, nervousness, and insomnia, and also, evidently, loss of manhood. The medicine he developed had a similar taste as root beer, but with the bitter aftertaste that he claimed came from a rare, unnamed South American medicinal plant that his old buddy, Lieutenant Moxie, discovered. As it turns out, this was something called gentian root. Root beer, indeed. In 1883, Doc Thompson started carbonating Moxie, and from then on sold it as an energizing drink. Moxie became one of the first sodas to go into commercial production in the USA. Over the decades, it had supporters like President Calvin Coolidge and baseball star Ted Williams, and it's still produced today. The brand is really most popular in New England, and in 2005, Maine named Moxie Soda as its state drink. Get this, the term Moxie, you know, like, the kids got moxie. That term actually comes from the soda. Isn't that cool? I don't know. I thought it was cool. I had to order my moxie from Amazon, and I don't know. The flavor is like a mix of bubblegum and root beer and cream soda, if that makes sense to your palate. Personally, I think I'll stick with Dr. Pepper. But it's okay in the cocktail. The New Englander cocktail features moxie as its central ingredient, with gin and a splash of Worcestershire sauce, which apparently is hotly debated in New England. It might be optional and it might not, the Worcestershire, but I love Worcestershire. And yes, I'm pronouncing it correctly today. Sorry about that other episode. Anyway, so for me, it's required. For the cocktail, we will take one part gin, three parts moxie soda, and a dash of Worcestershire, and put it all in a glass with ice. Stir and garnish the glass with lime. Simple as that. The mocktail takes one part non-alcoholic gin, three parts of the moxie soda, and that dash of Worcestershire, stirring in a cocktail glass and garnishing with a lime wheel. Drink up while you pretend that you're not scared of what we're about to discuss happening in the town where you live. All right, y'all. I know that our cases are on the lighter side these days, so if you're a little more easily triggered, this may be the upload to skip. It's not bloody. It's just creepy. Anyway, first, let's talk about beautiful Cape Elizabeth, the site of today's caper. Cape Elizabeth is a beautiful and historic town that offers a unique blend of coastal charm and small-town character. The key words in that last sentence are small and town. Cape Elizabeth is located just south of South Portland, Maine, and shares a border with the city. The distance between the two is only a few miles, but that two miles is just far enough away to give a sense of small-town security. 
And frankly, the people of Cape Elizabeth had reasons to believe that their town was safe. It was, and still is, considered a relatively safe community, with a pretty low crime rate compared to national averages. According to data from the FBI, the town's crime rate is well below the national average for both violent and property crime. This is the kind of place where couples move to raise their families, the kind of place where kids still play together outside, which, on a side note, is like kind of sadly rare these days, right? I spent a lot of time outside unsupervised as a kid. Well, now I do this podcast. Anyway. Cape Elizabeth is the kind of place where people leave their doors unlocked all the time. You get it. Safe. Sound. All the things. One terrifying night in August of 2004, the intrusions began. On August 25th at 11.37 p.m., a resident on Mitchell Road reported scaring off an intruder in their home. On February 7th, 2005, a homeowner walked in on an intruder around 1 a.m. and chased him out of his house, but could not catch him. In fact, between August of 2004 and February of 2005, a man entered unlocked homes four times. The story goes that in most, if not all of these cases, the person entered through an undoubtedly unlocked door and just kind of walked around the house. In some cases, sleeping people literally woke up to a stranger in the room staring at them. And then the resident of the house would usually just, well, scare the intruder away. A description of the suspect was released in early 2005. White male, about 5 foot 10 inches tall, 18 to 23 years old, brown fuzzy hair, medium build, dark clothing. I mean, that surely narrowed it down, don't you think? (laughs) One of the scariest parts of this case, maybe the creepiest, is the motive, or lack thereof. Captain Sinclair of the Cape Elizabeth Police Department would say, quote, Clearly, there has to be some sinister intent to enter into somebody's home while they're sleeping, end quote. There was no clear pattern to the houses he chose to target, and while there were plenty of opportunities to steal from the targeted homes, nothing was ever stolen. On March 16, 2005, police held a meeting at the local Cape Elizabeth Precinct with about 30 interested members of the public to share what they'd learned about the intruder. Police began to encourage Cape Elizabeth residents to lock their doors at night and also to consider installing motion-activated lights outside. Remember, this was pre-ring cameras, everybody. They also told folks to avoid confronting the intruder, which I think is always pretty sound advice. Uh, In other words, duh. They also talked about restarting a crime watch program that had dissolved in the mid-90s due to, get this, a lack of crime. At least one victim of the Cape intruder was shown a photo lineup, but that provided no leads. In mid-March of 2005, a composite sketch was released that generated a few leads at that time. At one point, it seems that investigators zoomed in on two potential suspects, and police captain Brent Sinclair would say on March 8, 2005, quote, We do have a couple of people of interest we're looking at, end quote. He would also go on to say that they wouldn't release any information until they were more certain. He also said, quote, Everybody seems to think it looks like someone they know or have seen, end quote. It seems they never were more certain because no people were ever publicly identified and no one went beyond being a person of interest. Also, apparently the people of interest didn't even really match the description or maybe even the composite, which brings up an interesting point. 
the faulty nature of eyewitness testimony to begin with, because you know I fell down that rabbit hole. So in a situation where you wake up with a dude or gal or gentle them or whoever staring at you while you sleep, like the conditions aren't exactly perfect for giving an accurate description. I mean, I can't even tell how old someone is when they're outside on a nice day and I'm just people watching. I couldn't tell you whether someone was 5'5 or 5'10. And if you think you can, I really just think you're lying, to be honest. In fact, many studies have been done proving that eyewitness identification is often, well, shady at best. And there are a fair amount of variables at play here. First, you have viewing conditions. That could include the lighting, or lack thereof, how far away the person is, and how long you saw them for. Then you have things that might distract you, like bright lights, or loud noises, or a weapon, or somebody just waking you up in the middle of the night. This doesn't even account for the internal state of the witness. You know, like their ability to judge someone's height while they're lying down, or if they have any unconscious or conscious biases. Perhaps this is surprising to you, or maybe it isn't, but eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable. Conviction errors caused by false testimony have far-reaching and pretty significant repercussions. While the perpetrators go free, often committing further crimes, hundreds of innocent people from the United States alone have spent years of their lives in prison. In fact, mistaken identifications are the leading factor in wrongful convictions in America. But anyway, I went on that tangent for no reason because no one has ever identified the cape intruder in any kind of lineup. News about the cape intruder disappeared from the pages of local newspapers by the end of March 2005. It seems that as quickly as he appeared, he vanished again. Not one item was stolen and not one person was injured or killed by the cape intruder. He got his jollies just by watching, it seems. Several people would eventually sign up to be a part of the revived Neighborhood Watch program, informally titled the Mitchell Road Neighborhood Watch Group. Those folks spent some time learning how to be good witnesses and how to prevent crime scene contamination. The group didn't end up being a part of catching the Cape Intruder, but it definitely made folks in the neighborhood more vigilant and it helped them to get to know one another better. One of the organizers of the Neighborhood Watch would say, quote, I met several of my neighbors I didn't know, end quote. Much research has been done into the real issues of eyewitness identification and recommendations have been made to law enforcement, including ensuring the people running lineups don't know who the suspect is, the use of standardized witness instructions, and other recommendations were presented by the memorandum from the Department of Justice in 2017. Hopefully less folks will be wrongfully accused, arrested, and convicted as a result. Fun fact, Maine no longer classifies crimes as felonies or misdemeanors, but instead uses a lettering system. In Maine, what the Cape Intruder did would be considered criminal trespass, and either a Class D or Class E crime, or both, depending on if the door was locked or not when the person went in without permission. Being found guilty of this crime would have gotten them up to a year in prison and up to $2,000 in fines for each incident, I might add. However, the statute of limitations on those crimes is three years. So as long as Capey McIntruder face kept themselves out of people's houses, they're off scot-free. I usually don't ever understand why people don't come forward when the statute of limitation has passed. I'm more of a might as well tell the world 
when you can kind of gal, but this case might be an exception. Thanks for hanging out with me. As for the Cape Intruder, I hope they have moved on to healthier pursuits in their life and not the other way around. I guess we may never know. Next week, it's August, if you can believe it, and we're making one of my absolute favorite drinks of all time. If you have not had a tequila sunrise, you must join me next week. It's a beautiful drink, a delicious drink, and a simple drink. It only has three ingredients. If you don't already know what those ingredients are, they are listed in the description box, along with the recipe for the weird but delicious New Englander cocktail from today. Speaking of the description box, please feel free to hop down there and book me for your latest virtual happy hour, birthday party, or other virtual event. I can do any case your heart desires from G to R rated, and we can do it without any prep work on your part if you want. An easy 30 to 45 minutes that you don't have to worry about planning or otherwise managing. And they're really fun. Check out www.capersandcocktails.com, yes, yes, with the and spelled out for more. I'll see you next week. And remember, there are always alternatives to breaking into someone's house just to watch them sleep.